0: Welcome back to B2B Growth. I'm Dan Sanchez with Sweetfish Media and I am continuing the journey into account-based marketing. I mean, I've been saying that for three weeks now because it's been a month-long journey and I am in the final week, which is exciting because I've learned a lot and I still have so much more to learn. It's like the more I learn about ABM, the more corridors I find I haven't explored yet. And I'm excited to talk to Samantha Stone, who is the founder and CMO of the Marketing Advisory. Network, as well as the author of Unleash Possible. Um, And I'm very excited to her because she is a B2B marketing veteran. And I just read her book over the weekend, and it was fantastic. You should definitely check out Unleash Possible. I'll probably do a a review on that book, particularly in the future. Um, But it had a whole section just on account-based marketing, which was really fun to look through and kind of evaluate and see Samantha's perspective on the topic. But instead of talking about what she talked about in her book, I was excited i excited to bring her on the show to ask her about an unanswered question that even though I've explored ABM by interviewing multiple practitioners, thought leaders, reading multiple books so far, there's one thing that I haven't figured out yet. And that is what to do with all the accounts that have like you've had in your, your target list and maybe you've run some campaigns on, but they haven't matriculated Maybe they made it a certain way into the funnel and it just didn't pan out. They, you've engaged them, but they never activated. You've act, you, they got activated, entered the pipeline, and dropped out for whatever reason. What do you do with those? accounts. What do, you, do you put them on the back burner? Do you bring the back? And these are the questions that I had, and I'm excited to talk to Samantha about it. We're, as you know, we're embarking on our own ABM campaign with Sweetfish Media, and I kind of want to have a plan in mind for all these accounts that we, we plan to engage in. So, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And just as an opening question to kick things off, I wanted to ask you if there was ever a time maybe when you were on the receiving end of just some good account-based marketing what was it and how did it go um have you ever been on the receiving end of someone doing good account based marketing and what was it like
1: that's a really excellent question. Um, I imagine that I've been on the receiving end quite often. Um, although I will admit that I've been on the receiving end in the wrong way, where they clearly didn't target my business well. And <laughs> we're
0: all aware um, I, of those. I,
1: I was, it was a miss more often than it was a hit. But I'll give you a great example. Actually, one of my favorite examples is actually from James Carberry. Right, so. Um, James and I did a bunch of content together. He had me a, a guest in the podcast when I was launching the book. I had reached out to him and had me on. And then we did a whole bunch of subsequent episodes. And one of the most meaningful things that ever happened is just how much you could tell that James was listening to me, right? And really getting to know me and really living the sort of core beliefs about joint content creation, And one day he mentioned to me that I'd been the most frequent guest on the show. And um, I jokingly said, well, where's my letter jacket, right? Like, you know, it's like a varsity player on a team. Don't I get a letter jacket? And then we went on our merry way in our conversation and I never thought anything about it again. Well, wouldn't you know, a few weeks later, what shows up at my door is actually a letter jacket, but it's not just a letter jacket. It's a letter jacket in red, which is, you know, my brand color and a color I love, that had my book cover embroidered on it and my name on the other arm. And it was just like, man, he had really listened to what I said. And this was playful and fun, which was appropriate for our relationship. Not all things will be that way. and Not all things need to be gifts. But it was a great example of nurturing our relationship and continuing to engage. And I really love and respect the work that you guys do. And I've used... Sweetfish Media with clients before you guys helped me launch my own podcast. And a large part of that is because of the relationship that James built. And then subsequently other people on the team have picked up and expanded. Um, But he was a really big piece of that. And I, you know, whether he meant it or not, it felt like a really well executed account based program.
0: Man, I was I'm. Shocked. I wasn't expecting that, (laughs) but it makes sense. James
1: probably never even, even heard that. Right. Like, uh, you know, that's, I haven't
0: even heard that story of the letterman's jacket. and I've heard James tell a lot of stories of some of the creative or interesting things that he's done before. So I'm like, wow. Okay. That's like next level, James. I'm not like super surprised because he's so good with gifts and so personal and good at this whole thing called just building relationships. Right. Um, it's why I work here because of James Carberry. Right. But wow, that's a fun story to open it up with.
1: I, first of all I, yeah he I tell that story quite a lot because i I love it but I also think it's really important to understand that the gift was like a meaningful thing and I'll never forget that like legitimately never forget that and I use it as an example a lot of how to show gratitude in a way that's really meaningful and personal but he also would invite me on shows that were relevant and he would introduce me to people who were relevant and when we could still get together he came to Boston and you know we had a, a dinner with a bunch of people that I found really interesting that I didn't know before so you know, what he did very well was understand what was important to me as an individual person and to my company, and then find opportunities that things that he was doing that made sense and invite me into those things. And that is fundamentally, that's what account-based marketing is.
0: I love it. It's the one-to-one that gets me the most excited about account-based marketing. Of course, the one-to-few and the one-to-many are exciting too, but the one-to-one is definitely what makes account-based marketing shine, I think. So let's dive into the particular topic of what do you do with the accounts that you have a hard time following up with, or you've you've run the campaign through and they just didn't matriculate. I'm sure you've run multiple or have worked with people, have run multiple ABM campaigns by now. So is there a certain point in the, every campaign, or maybe this isn't even a thing, and I think it's a thing, where the, you just know the account, it just didn't make it. (laughs) You're at the end of the quarter or the end of the year and you're just kind of like, what do we do with this account? Am I thinking about that correctly?
1: It's a really good question. I think there's a couple of things that you want to unpack before you could decide what to do. So one of the things you have to decide and look at is why didn't they matriculate to anything? So there may be a class of companies where we got to know them and they actively chose not to pursue working with us, right? For some known entity, you know, we had a capability, we were missing a capability they really needed, or they had a, you know, a six year contract with someone else, right? Like there's a whole bunch of reasons why someone might get to know you and decide not to move forward. I need to treat those people very differently than people who just, I never got their attention successfully, right? So there's this other class of companies who they were on my target account list, but I, I just, we never had a meaningful engagement. We did lots of things. Maybe they attended an event here and there or they downloaded something, but we never got to the point where we had a meeting. That's a really different kind of folks. I'm gonna do something different with them. And then there's like a third classification, which says, you know, turns out they should never probably have been on our target account list after all. Let's look at how they got there and determine maybe we are just really bad fit and we shouldn't be pursuing those. And we need to treat, all three of those groups differently, Dan, with um, what we do next.
0: I never considered, I'm like, oh, but it makes so much sense. I'm like, I I didn't even have an area in my mind for like, oh, what if we just targeted them wrong? Even though with the way we do podcasting and stuff, that happens like all the time. But that's like a do not follow up with list. <laughs> or maybe it is. It'd be interesting.
1: Well, you know what, you don't know what until you get to know someone sometimes, right? So sometimes it appeared that they were the right company to be on a target account, list. they were the right size and they did the right thing and they were in the right space for us. But then when, as we got to know them, we found out that they actually aren't in the same business we thought they were in or they have a different kind of need or maybe in you, and in your case, they have their own in-house podcasting studio. Like, right, you wouldn't know that. You couldn't tell that on the surface, you would only know that when you engaged with them. So those people who should not have been really ever targeted, or we learned along the way, something that would signal that we don't do anything with them, right? We like, okay, you know, we're going to retire them from our, from our list. If they're subscribed to some newsletters and things and you want to stay in touch, I believe, you know, sharing information openly with people who want to be that information shared, but you stop actively pursuing that group. That's easy, right? That's an easy one.
0: Okay. And it seems like the ones that didn't buy from you because of a specific feature set or they're locked into a contract. And while there might be some particulars there, those ones would also be on that could probably take off the account list right now. I'm glad, no. no.
1: So I would 100% (gasps) not do that. So, um, but you're, by the way, Dan, you have the reaction that most people do. So what you're thinking is what most organizations do. We have it. They have, you know, we learned something about them. They're not going to buy from us in the next, let's call it two years. So we stop looking at them. But if, it, if it's truly the kind of account that you can go and you have a long sales cycle and you have a complex business and lots of people are involved in a buying committee, you actually want to maintain a relationship with that account. How you do that will look very different from someone who might be in an active buy process but you still want to have a relationship with them. You still want to be including them. So when they are ready, they think of you and they include you on the short list of consideration.
0: Wow. Okay. So you do follow up with these people, but in a different way. And it's probably because like they might go with the competitor and be unhappy with that competitor, right? It's like, or the people who chose that, leave the company. And now, now the new people aren't very happy with the decisions that were made in the past and maybe they're waking up to it. Is that kind of like a thing you're thinking of?
1: Totally. That's exactly right. And we may enhance our solution in some way that fills the gap that we weren't able to meet for them. Or, you know, like, so a hundred, you're, you're exactly thinking about that correctly. And then you've got those people in the middle who just never engaged. And it's tempting to say, well, we're just not going. You know, we're going to give up. They stopped engaging with us. We're just we're going to you know put them on hold. But in fact, if everything we believe is that they were a good fit for our business, and they haven't engaged, that's on us. We haven't found a way to engage with them that makes sense and resonate. So we have more homework to do to get to know those people at those companies and those companies better. And it's our job to find and test other ways of getting their attention. And then once we've engaged enough, we can make the decision if never should have been on target list or it's the long game. The fact is ABM is a long game. We can't treat it like individual campaigns, like we do other types of accounts. Now people can actively opt out of communicating with you and unsubscribe from you and you have to honor and respect those things, but people opt out, not companies. And so if we've not done a good job of Of engaging the three people that we happen to have in our database, but there are three other people who are equally qualified to participate in the evaluation process and to give us insight into their needs, we shouldn't give up on those folks.
0: Okay. So it's almost like at the end, maybe at the end of a cycle or end of a campaign, you might want to take all the ones who didn't make it all the way through and do an analysis of them collectively and be like, well, is there a reason why some... Some didn't, and some did. You might be able to find a correlation in industry, or I don't know, maybe a content. They maybe they all read the same piece of content and it sucked or something um, to see if there is some way you could troubleshoot it. Or you can go down to the individual account level and do a little bit more homework to see if they were one, the right account, or two.
1: Yeah, Dan, not sure what else I'd be looking for. You're <laughs> absolutely right. And there's another factor we have to remind ourselves about. And that is that very little, and I don't actually have a percentage, although I've heard percentages of, you know, 10%, 5%, who knows what the actual number is, but very little of what a buyer or an account does in terms of their exploration of our category of solutions happens on our own properties. Most of what they do, we never see. It's not on our website. It's not with our content. And so If ABM is a real strategy for us, we are smart to get better at using third-party signals, whether that's data out of review sites, whether that's data out of media companies, maybe it's data coming out of a company like TechTarget with their priority engine. And there's lots of others in that space who look at and measure interest in a topic but they do it on their own properties that we don't have any other way of seeing. And so before we say this is a company who will never be interested and we are not worth pursuing, we have to try and gauge not just in what marketing sees, but what in third party sees, what, in, what the sales team is engaging and learning, right? We may have somebody who's super engaged with our marketing content, right? We may be just crushing the marketing content and doing an amazing job And the salesperson's like, hey, I've had four conversations with them. I've talked to six different people. They are 100% not a good fit for us. We should listen to that signal, right? And know that.
0: So what are some of the ways to get data? You mentioned like some broad third-party services, but uh, I mean, Sixth Sense, this is like their thing. This is what they advertise. They like made a whole category of the dark funnel, which was super clever to try to help marketers understand that they don't have the complete picture of the story and that, therefore you need six cents in order to do that. But let's suppose I don't have six cents. What are some ways I can uh, illuminate some of this dark funnel in order to understand better what part of the funnel they're in?
1: I mean, the, the ways that you, you can get signals from people in lots of ways. So one of the ways that you could get signal is how you create content and what you call that content, right? So the content that somebody consumes tells me a lot about what's important to them. So that, you know, broadening the kinds of things that I'm pushing out through campaigns as such is is definitely a signal that you want to pay attention to. Looking and studying at the um, context social profiles. What are they talking about? What are they posting? What seems important to them? Trying to figure out and talk to the conversations that your sales team are having with people. What are they learning? You know, some of this stuff can't be automated. I can't necessarily take all the notes a salesperson has in my Salesforce system or whatever, you know, Salesforce automation system I use and and run a report that tells me everything I might want to know about that account. But in an account based mocker to model, what we're saying is we're not going after an undefined set of accounts that have a profile. We're going after this set of accounts. And so it gives us the opportunity to sit down and do quarterly account reviews with the sales team and really be detailed about what we're learning. What's what's happening in the press about the company? What What do we read in their annual reports, right? There's all kinds of ways to capture intelligence. The problem is that we as marketers have gotten a little lazy and are a little dependent on automatic data feeds. And if we don't have an automatic data feed, we're a little dismissive of it because we say we can't scale. Well, it is true. We can't scale it, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, these are, if these are our top hundred or, or more accounts, then it's worth doing the manual effort for. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the manual stuff. I mean, you know, Sweetfish Media, see, so and we know we like to have our, our guest prospects on as, as our ideal buyers on as guests on the podcast, which is very one-to-one manual approach as much as we try to automate little pieces of it. So I know I'm not afraid to do the manual things and it's fun to actually look at, I was writing down as you were talking as fast as I could. I'm like, okay, so go look at their social profiles. What are they talking about? That's just so practical. And sometimes you just forget like, oh, what's already out there that they're putting out there? Uh, What did sales learn from them? What conversations, have, have there been any conversations? You have to go look in your own CRM to see what conversations have been had. And then what are they putting out as press releases, annual reports, maybe even content marketing that they're doing in order to give you some indicators that they're, where they're at. So those are all highly, highly practical things that you can use to troubleshoot accounts.
1: Yeah, and the last thing that I would just remind us of, and I know you know this, but I think it's worthy is we, as marketers in ABM, have got a little email and ad dependent. And we have to remember, just because somebody's not reading our emails doesn't actually mean they're no longer a good fit for us. And so, or that we can add value to them. And so until we really, the mission of, Early ABM programs and campaigns is about collecting insights about the accounts we're going after. Sure, I want to get meetings. Of course, I want to get meetings. But that's not going to happen overnight with all those accounts. I want to get intelligence about those accounts. Then once I have that intelligence, now I can make decisions about what do I do. I continue to nurture the relationship. If I do, in what way? Do we have the right contacts? Do we not have the right context? How engaged has sales been? How do we do better at that? And so these qualitative account review processes, I like to do them every quarter. I know that's ambitious. I think most people do it once or twice a year. But they're highly important to having repeatable, consistent success with your ABM. You're going to get a boost with ABM right away, almost No matter what you do, unless you do something really foolish, just by focusing, you're going to start to see some bump. But what happens is people get a bump and then they quickly hit a plateau and they get to the plateau and they get stuck. and We don't know what to do yet. Well, that's where you really need to dig into those accounts and what you've learned about them and adjust your strategies, and adjust your tactics, and use multiple ways of going after those folks. Confirm you have the right contacts and multiple contacts. Do all the normal things that you might want to do around good campaign hygiene.
0: Ma'am, it's so good. To circle back around, the group that they didn't buy, um, the people that didn't pick you before, a, maybe a specific feature, maybe they're locked into a contract, even though they had a conversation with sales. What do you recommend to do to follow up with those those people?
1: Look, we're playing the long game. Just stay in touch with them like you normally do. Have it, when you see when you create something that's an interesting and compelling content for them, send it to them. When you create a forum and roundtable discussions, and you think that they would add and contribute to that, and they would take away something, invite them. Right. We have to not be afraid to engage all those people that we think aren't ready for us. Um, That's okay. What we don't want to do is stick them on a salesperson and when am I going to see my demo? When am I going to get my demo? When am I going to get my demo? Right? Let me just call you, call you, call you, call you, call you until you you hang up on me for the eighty seventh time. Right? We don't want to do that. What we want to do is continue to nurture, truly nurture those relationships, add value. And what what's hard for marketers to wrap our heads around, including me, is what I've experienced in the past is we have this notion that frequency of cadence is meaningful and that what we need to do to stay in front of someone is be in front of them all the time. However, if this is the long game and there's someone we know is not going to be buying from us for a year or two, for whatever those reasons are, regular like weekly cadences and even monthly cadences, they don't make sense. They, they annoy more than they help what you want to do is sporadic ad hoc things to stay in front of them periodically and not overly schedule that outreach but to truly engage them in the places and the times that are going to be useful i'll give so i'll give you an example i got an email from asking for a meeting from someone for ceo of a company that i talked to a while ago. And he has like, I think I finally have a project for you. So I went back and I'm like, Oh, awesome. I recognize the name. I knew who they were, but I was like, when was the last time I actually had like a meaningful sales conversation with them? Would you like to guess when that was this happened last week?
0: When the last time the meaningful sales conversation happened?
1: Yeah, when I had a meaningful sales conversation with them was. I have no idea. 2016. <laughs> oh, geez. 2016. And I, you know, they're connected to me on social. Like every once in a while, I would send them something I thought was interesting on our blog. They didn't subscribe to anything. I didn't send them a regular cadence of communication. They weren't in an email drip, right? But when there was a project that was a good fit that we could serve, they thought about us and they reached out right away. That's really what ABM is about. It's not about, it's not about frequency. It's about quality engagement.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by LinkedIn. Did you know over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn? It's the reason why I and a ton of other B2B marketers spend hours marketing on LinkedIn every week. In fact, recently I just pulled a report that informed our team at Sweetfish that LinkedIn had produced three times the amount of new customers in the last 90 days than the next lead source three times guys it was a lot there is not a better platform to research your key accounts find the exact people you want to connect with and actually engage them in a variety of meaningful ways do business where business is done get a 100 hundred dollar advertising credit toward your first linkedin campaign visit linkedin.com slash b2b growth linkedin.com slash b2b growth terms and conditions apply something we're planning on doing is trying to figure out and better somewhat qualify people within after they become a guest on the podcast and a lot of my customers even ask me like oh when do you sell to them i'm like well it's hard to like sell to someone right after they've been a guest on the podcast right because that seems like a little bait and switch e right But what we're trying to experiment with is doing original research within the podcast and maybe mixing in a few questions in there that are somewhat qualifying questions. I could see if they're even in the market or send some signals, right, that maybe it'd be worth following up with some kind of consultative approach uh, a week or two later. But of course, a lot of people won't be in the market, which means I'll have to come up with a follow-up plan for everybody who might be what I call a future, a future fit. They might not be ready to buy now, but it doesn't mean they won't be later. And if I did my homework, I know they don't have a podcast, (laughs) Right, those would be an ICP for us. They don't have a podcast, but I'd but I'd have to put them in a queue to see. Like, well, maybe I want to have them on a blog post later, or contribute to a blog post. Lots of the guests can contribute to a blog post around a, a specific question, do a roundup of some kind, or a clubhouse, or some things like that. Is that is that what you're essentially saying? Is have like a bunch of things you can do to reach back into your your queue of people and your account based marketing programs that you can have contribute to, or that you can add value to in different ways.
1: Yeah. You just want to, you want a series of things. And the key is, so the key is there's a couple of keys here in what you're, you're describing. So one of them is there are times when you need a steady and regular weekly, daily, whatever cadence of reaching out to people and a highly integrated, that's when they're in an active bicycle. That's when you want to be really sort of regimented with, with your cadences and your communications that are going out. When I'm not in an active bicycle, I want to have regular good reasons to engage and t- teach out to them and it's and and just to just to be in touch with them and build a relationship with them and and continue for them to know what we do in a soft way right which isn't sending them your brochure right the first time I hired James to do my podcast right for Sweetfish Media it wasn't because he sent me like hey we've got this new package that's going out it's because I've been reading from him how podcasting could be used to build relationships. And I was intrigued and he'd shown me it in the way he engaged with me. And I bought into the concept. And so now I'm in an active buy cycle and we're going to go have a conversation about what that looks like. It's the same thing for any, any complex product or service that we sell. It's just about staying connected to people and being someone that they know to look to. It's what's really interesting phenomenon my own consulting practice that I've noticed over the years. I would I would guess, you know, my very unscientific, you know, back of napkin, probably fifteen or so percent of the business that comes to me that people come and ask me for business, they actually are first coming to me. Hey, do you know anybody that does? They didn't even realize that I did it. They would just know that I have a good network of people and they trust my judgment and they believe that. You know, I'm going to introduce them to good, strong people. And I'd say, in fact, I do know people. But did you know I also do that? And it's like, oh, my gosh, that's great, Samantha. I never thought of that, right? The, people don't have to know everything they do. They just have to trust you and know the space that you operate in. And then they engage you and you have an opportunity to continue to build on those those relationships. And that's very different than how sales and marketing has traditionally gone after pursuing opportunities. It's a, it, it is it di- is more different than I sometimes think we remember.
0: I know James talks about this all the time. In fact, he uses a little app to help him call Fabrique, which is like on his phone that's actively reminding him to like reach out to people. It's like, hey, it's been a while. It's not even part of like our HubSpot CRM or anything like that. But it's, he's just got he's probably got like dozens of people in there. It's like, hey, you haven't you haven't talked to so-and-so for a long time, shoot them a text, you know, and it's constantly reminding him to do that. He's, But he's kind of the the networking power. You, like he's, I don't know, what do you call those? The, like the six six degrees of separation. He's a super connector, right? <laughs> he's so good at it. But what for, for like us mere mortals who aren't like James Carberry <laughs> or like Samantha Stone, What are some things we can do? I mean, obviously, I try to be as helpful as possible to people all the time on LinkedIn, right? If people ask me a question, I send them a video message and I'm like, what else? Any other, anything else you wanna know, let me know and I'm here to help, right? So I try to be as helpful as possible, but still I find I'm not reaching out to some people as actively as I'd like to. And it's not because they didn't, I just didn't have necessarily an opportunity or they didn't drop something for me to be like, oh, they really liked this thing. I should follow up with them about that. What do you do when you wanna do that well? But maybe you're not in the habit of it. How do you build some systems into your life in order to uh, follow up with people? Um, I'm guessing you have some like pre-made things that you're like, okay, every once in a while we do something like this. But how do you become a little bit more spontaneous too?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I and I will say that I am by no means the best person at you know doing this now. You know, our conversation would lead you to believe that I am always on top of every, I know everybody's birthday. And I'm like, that's just not true. Like not, not real, but I am pretty good about when I see something, Go, Oh, I I can always think when I, when we're doing something, I always think of what are the three people in my world who are most going to get excited about that. Right. So part of it is looking at everything we're doing and just being consciously take a second to say, who's going to really think this is cool. And I'm going to go reach out to them. The other thing that I do is I do carve off into my calendar 15 minutes at the beginning of the day and 15 minutes at the end of the day where I do nothing but browse social media. I have no specific intention about what I'm going to do with it. I just know if something pops up, if somebody's posted something that I think is interesting, funny, clever, needs a hug, right? Like I want to be able to respond to that. Now I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't spend a half hour a day every day doing that. But because it's on my calendar for a half hour every day, several times a week, I actually get to it. The other thing that I do is really silly, Dan, and this is not a a scalability, but like I literally go through the contacts of my phone and every once in a while, I just scroll through and I'm like, oh, I haven't talked to, you know, uh, Kwame in a while. I'm going to just, you know, send Kwame a quick note, right? Like I don't have anything to push. I don't have anything to, I want to say hi, right? Like, and really those things are okay. We don't always have to have a specific action we want someone to take to reach out. Now that's different than marketing campaigns, right? That's sort of the this, this sales relationship piece of it. From a marketing campaign standpoint, our job as marketers is to give the sales team who is making these engagements and at which interesting things to talk about and to reach out about, to give them things to say, who's five people who might want that? Let me go put that in front of them right now. And the last thing that I would just say is it is incumbent on us to produce content ourselves. Most of the people in my network who reach out about projects, I actually have not actively engaged with them in quite some time, but they have been silently, without my knowledge, reading things that I'm posting. And when I do talk, to them, like, oh, yeah, you know, I never told you, but I I thought that article on X was really interesting. Or thank you for sharing this thing. I found that helpful. And so we do have to remember that just because somebody didn't comment on or respond to or share doesn't mean they didn't see it. And, And that's valuable as long as we're doing things that are of good quality and relevance.
0: That's good. I like the tip specifically about just browsing your your calendar or no, your your contact list every once in a while. And it could be your Facebook, your Twitter, your LinkedIn connections, something like that. Just going through the whole list every once in a while and finding, finding so-and-so and remembering. For us, it would probably be our podcast guests. I could roll through our podcast guests every once in a while and be like, oh yeah, I should probably mention to so-and-so that I've actually mentioned his episode like a dozen times or something like that. Right? It's
1: Absolutely. And when you do do that, like just drop a, Hey, I was just, this actually came up the other day. A friend of mine was quoted in a web seminar I did with a a vendor and I didn't even put the quote in the person I was speaking with did, but I I was like, Hey, Hey, just let let you know, your name came up. Your ears must've been ringing. You know, it was great. And we just had a lovely conversation and we hadn't connected in a while. Right. I had no ulterior motive. I wasn't trying to sell them anything. I legitimately was just sharing something where their name had come up.
0: And I specifically like the tip of always looking for who in my network would also be excited about this, or you're looking at something and maybe it's not exciting to you, but it could be exciting to somebody else. And if you think about it, you can usually think of a name that might be excited about that particular thing. I mean, that, that happens to me on LinkedIn all the time, especially for people who are asking for help on something that I know nothing about, but I'm like, I bet I could think of somebody that does. And you, you know, you can at mention them and pull them into the conversation. It's kind of that constantly exercising the relationship. I, I really like, um... Keith Ferrazzi, trying to remember the name of that book, "Never Eat Alone," was really big into that, right?
1: Oh, that's a great concept. Yeah, you know, I think the people you surround yourself make a very big difference because I don't know the answers to lots and lots of questions, legitimate, and and never will. Sometimes I should know the answer, and it's going to make me go look for an answer. But a lot of times, it's just not my area of expertise, or or something that I can comment on, and so. But I often, in, in more cases than not, know somebody who is an expert on that area, and then I can introduce, and it, it has an effect, right? So um, building up those relationships, and sometimes those experts, by the way, are name, brand, recognized people that other people are going to know. But a lot of times, there's someone who doesn't have a known external presence, but are really good at what they do, and are more than happy to have a quick you know, virtual coffee chat with someone I've introduced them to, to answer a question.
0: Absolutely. So it makes it certainly makes marketing and sales a lot more fun when you don't always have an agenda to bring, right? And I actually find as a marketer, I'm maybe I'm acting like a sales guy, but I'm not a sales guy. Um, but that I'm actively just going and talking to prospects all the time. In fact, I've taken a sales call every once in a while just because they started asking about services, and I'm not going to stop. Be like, hold on, don't talk to me. You're not allowed to talk to me about services. And I go get sales. I'm like marketers need to jump in the sales seat, right?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you said that because how often does it actually happen? But how often does that really happen? We do that all the time. We use our BDRs or SDRs or whatever you want to call them to do meeting acquisition, but we don't train them enough to have an engaged. So I've got somebody on the phone who's who's really interested in what we're doing. And that person who's on the phone with them's only mission is to set up a meeting. And if they're ready for that, hallelujah, that's great. But a lot of times they want to talk. You know, I've got them engaged. Why do we not have a hot handoff right now at that moment, at least, of someone that I can stand to that can have the next conversation? But nope, we got to schedule you from a week from now. You know, ABM is about being um, focused so that we can do kinds of extraordinary things like break some of the silly workflow processes that we have in place and build relationships in different ways and be better connected across our own organization and how we interact with folks. It's a, it's a luxury to be able to do that. It isn't something that you can do in all markets and all kinds of scenarios, but if you've done a good job of selecting your target account list, it's pretty amazing what you can do with sales.
0: I've actually been a big fan of this ABM concept coming from the B2C world where you kind of like, you know, you target, but like just because you're targeting a target market doesn't mean you know who you're marketing to. You're just kind of throwing out your ads and your campaigns out there. And, you know, as they come farther down the funnel, then you get to know them. Hey, ABM's fun because I actually know who exactly is the buyer already and I can go and have a conversation with them right away or within a much sooner time period, right? Even if they're not in the market yet. It's opened up a whole new world for me and a whole new realm of possibilities with the amount of information you get to work with and the amount of more. I don't know, one-to-one personal relationships you get to build in B2B. It's a much more exciting place to be than B2C. And B2C is usually held up as the more exciting marketing segment to be working in. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm really enjoying B2B.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, I'm a I'm a B2B junkie or, you know, at least a complex sale junkie, I should say. I don't it's not always B2B, but I do think that we have a lot to learn from each other, right? There's parts about traditional B2C marketing that I think we sometimes forget and are are afraid of around brand building and some of the equity that comes along with that and evangelism. And it is a luxury to be able to build a multi, think about this multi-month, multi-year relationship with a company and a set of people. That's pretty exciting. And if you do it right, that's a life, at least a professional lifelong relationship that you've built, right? That's something that when you come up with a different product or you work somewhere else or you know like the something comes up if you've done it well you've built that trusted relationship for the long haul it doesn't go away because your job within sweetfish media changed
0: absolutely and james has reminded me of that many times that we're here building even as a company and sweetfish is kind of different in this and that they're into building personal brands even if you were to go to leave sweetfish media that it's still worthwhile for the company and for you to build it that way and have you to build relationships with lots of people outside. And I think being, putting an emphasis on personal brands and personal relationships is, is certainly working out for Sweetfish so far. And I hope more companies embrace that point.
1: Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in the ABM model and in, in this place in particular, where you've got like, Hey, they're not in buy psych yet. What do I do with them? is to create intimate experiences. Now we can't do that in person for the most part right now and might not be able to for quite some time, but you can create some pretty amazing intimate experiences virtually. And um, I did one recently for a client and it was a wine tasting, which isn't, you know, in and of itself, any grand, you know, novel notion, but I think what made it work so well for us, I mean, the feedback we got from attendees was incredible was because, we did a few things differently. We invited them to bring a plus one if they wanted to. We recognize everybody's at home. When we were doing introductions, somebody was starting to say where their job, and like, no, 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 don't talk about your, you know, what your job is. We're here to have fun, right? There are forums and formats where talking about their job made sense. But in this thing, we had completely built this as, you've been really working hard. I, We hear you, we see you, and you deserve a break. And so we're hosting this really fun thing to do to just hang out and meet some new friends in your space. And there was like a visual sigh of relief in the room when we did that. Like literally everybody's body language, the tension, whatever tension you saw, it went completely away. And by the end of our, you know, couple hours together, people were laughing and smiling. And the thank you notes we got afterwards were super touching. It was, it was remarkable. And so I've been experimenting with what the right size is for these kinds of things, whether it's a wine tasting or it's a roundtable discussion or it's a broadcast communication, how do we create intimacy? And sometimes we get a little lost and it's got to be big, right? We sort of say, well, for it to be successful, we've got to get 500 people there or 300 people there or 6,000 people there. There are value in big events, but I'm finding for ABM long-term relationship building, the small stuff is what's really moving the needle.
0: Absolutely. That's what we're finding too, which is why James spends so much time on Clubhouse right now. (laughs) And uh, honestly, he actually spends a lot of time just putting, I think they call them B2B growth groups together with VPs of marketing and small groups. You're talking like five, six people and finds that just the intimacy of the small community is what makes makes it much more interesting. And he's, we've been getting a lot of good feedback on that. So I think that's something we'll continue to do, even though it's actually really hard to scale that. <laughs> it's still working. It
1: is. But you know what? ABM isn't about scale, right, Dan? Right? Yep, like, yep. You want, there are things you can scale about it. <laughs> I don't want people to think there's nothing repeatable. There's repeatability yeah. to it. So oh, for great. sure. For sure. Um, started- and
0: it's, we're going to continue doing it because it's, it's working right. and it's building genuine, real relationship. And sometimes it takes a while for it to like come back to revenue and that's okay. Like we did a whole LinkedIn evangelism program and only got the report caught on it now, even though we've been hard at it for 10 months and, uh, found out it's highly profitable. <laughs> um, but it was 10 months. We were just like, uh, eh, we're just a bunch of us making content on LinkedIn, spending a lot of soft and hard dollars on this thing. And now it's lo and behold, it actually works. So you're like, Oh, who knew?
1: <laughs> you knew. You just <laughs> you knew.
0: James did. A lot of people have been saying it and we actually put it to work, but I mean, 10 months is a long time to test something and not know exactly of how how well it's working. You know, you're getting engagement and reach and stuff like that. But
1: I'm, I'm glad that you said that because that's one of the biggest issues that people have is when they don't get those like, target accounts to engage, they give up on them. And they move to the next set. But you're losing a lot of, you know, you're constantly having to reinvent momentum when we do that. So your question today is an excellent one, Dan, and it's not one we talk enough about. We, we really need to acknowledge that um, ABM is a long play. Now, some companies, long is three months. But for a lot of companies, long is a year, two years. And we need to operate in that model comfortably.
0: Yep, we've certainly had a lot of customers came through that were interested and didn't sign up for two years. We have a, because we've been doing this a while, it's now matriculating in, but it is very interesting. They just weren't ready or the person we were talking to switched jobs and at the new company they want to sign up, you know. So you just never know how that's going to pan out. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me on B2B Growth today. I loved hearing from you. I loved that you totally turns a false way of thinking around on me and got me to open up my eyes on how you can follow up with even the people that said no for particular reasons, certainly changing the way I'm going to be approaching my own ABM campaign at Sweetfish Media. And though you've been on the show many times and have probably told our audience multiple times, where can they go to find you online uh, if they want to connect with you and ask you follow-up questions from this episode?
1: I never get tired of hearing people like sincerely. It is like my favorite thing when I open up my inbox or listen to my voicemail and someone's reached out that read the book or listened to a presentation I gave or a podcast guest. So I really hope they do. They can go to marketingadvisorynetwork.com or unleashpossible.com, either place, if they just want to kind of browse resources that are available. But if someone would like to reach out, I'm on LinkedIn and they can email me at samantha.stone at Marketing Advisory Network.com. And I know that's a mouthful, but the acronym is man.com. And I will never let that happen. So um, it's a long email address, but I promise that I do um, read all the email that comes to me. And I don't, you know, the spam stuff that comes, I'm pretty good at filtering out. But um, I really do love if somebody has questions or even just a comment or they have a campaign they ran and they want to share it. I love learning about what people are doing and what's working for them and what's not. So I encourage people to reach out anytime.
0: Fantastic. Again, thank you so much for joining me on B2B Growth. One of the things we've learned about podcast audience growth is that word of mouth works. It works really, really well, actually. So if you love this show, it would be awesome if you texted a friend to tell them about it. And if you send me a text with a screenshot of the text you sent to your friend, meta, I know, I'll send you a copy of my book, Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. My cell phone number is 407-490-3328. Happy texting.